Welcome to Coming Clean, a podcast that provides a safe place for people to be real and authentic about their struggles to overcome addiction and mental illness. This is the perfect place to share stories of triumph and tragedy with millions of other people who are secretly wrestling with demons that are destroying their lives. The podcast will be educational and informative and will provide hope and inspiration by lining a path to recovery that promises a better life. My name is Peter Estevez, and this is my friend and co-host, Dr. Steve Farber, and I'd like to welcome you to today's episode. Okay, hello, everyone. This is Dr. Steve, and on behalf of my co-host, Peter Estevez, and myself, I would like to welcome you to the new episode of Coming Clean Podcast. Our mission is to provide a safe haven to discuss topics that are often sensitive in nature, so that we are, and that we be both informative and educational, and also allow people to reach out and help others. A way of letting people know that they're not alone, and that there are other people out there that have made tremendous strides in their battles with addiction and mental illness. The battles for sobriety and to overcome mental illness are not easily fought or easily won, but there are common battles waged behind the scenes in so many of our lives. Our main message to you is: you are not alone in fighting your demons. Today, we are going to interview a soldier and a hero who has fought these battles and, like to sh- and would like to share these, these battles with us. But before I introduce our guest, Sean Lowry, the veteran guy, I'd like to say hello to my friend and my co-host, Peter Estevez. Hello, Steve. How are you? It's so good to see you again. And hello, Sean, the veteran guy. How are you today? Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Well, as a way of introducing Sean, the veteran guy, I'd like to say a few things about him before we get started with the interview. Um, Sean is an Army veteran who's dedicated his life to helping and serving others who suffer from PTSD, depression, and addiction. And I know as personally as a physician, I've taken care of patients, and I realize the challenge that PTSD and depression pose for both the patient and the physician We know there's a link between mental illness and addiction, and today we're going to delve a little bit more into this link. Let's say hello to Sean, and first I'd like to thank you for your service, Sean. Uh, My son was also a Marine and served two tours of duty in Afghanistan. Um, Sean describes himself on Facebook as an entrepreneur, a mindset specialist, and a social media influencer, and he's also the founder of Veterans Finding Purpose. Hello, Sean. How are you today? And can you tell us how you wound up on our show? <laughs> hey, uh, what's going on, Steve? I'm so glad to be here, Peter. Thank you, guys. I'm really honored to be here. Um, I think that it's really important what you guys do, sending out the messages, letting people, you know, letting people know that um, mental health and addiction and everything is serious in this country. Um, I believe I reached out to Peter and uh, I saw your guys' podcast and I reached out and told him my story and he, he enjoyed it. And, uh, I think you guys invited me on. I believe that's how it happened. I, I reached out to you guys and told you what, you know, my story and we, uh, lined it up and here I am, uh, been waiting for this moment and I'm excited to be here. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you, Sean, and thank you for your service. But I think beyond the military service, the new, the new mission that you have taken on to spread the message of, 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 uh, of service outside the, the uh the the ranks of the military with spreading your message with addiction is really why we're here today and we both steve and i are very grateful that we have an opportunity to not only hear your story but to able to but to be able to hear what it is that you're doing in service of the military men and women steve 
Well, you know, I think for me, um, one of the most important things about this podcast uh, <clears throat> is to be educational, informative, and talk to people who've been there, you know, and for me, again, I feel that uh, I myself have suffered from PTSD and depression. And so for me, there's a very personal uh, link to Sean here. And I guess I don't know that really a lot of people understand what PTSD is and, and really what it is, unless they've actually been there or know people who've suffered in their family or close to them. And I guess what I'd like to do, Sean, first is to really explore the basis of the PTSD and how it manifested itself and how you feel that this happened to you. How did you feel that you developed PTSD? Okay. Um, I'll do the best I can. Um, I'll go back to my second tour of duty, which was in Afghanistan. Um, you know, to start with, none of us ever, this is back in 2010, so none of us even heard of PTSD at that time. Right. We didn't even know what it was. All we ever heard was from the old Vietnam veterans called shell shock and, mm -hmm. or, you know, a traumatic event. But we didn't, we never thought about what PTSD was. I didn't have no idea what it was. Um, for me, what started happening was I started having nightmares it started having replaying dreams over and over um i started replaying incidents that had happened to me on tour uh <laughs> certain combat missions you know the time when my brother got you know hit by an 800 pound ied right in front of me you know that that right there was enough for it kept playing over and over and i kept seeing the choppers coming it kept picking up the guys that, that that was really injured you know the time i got hit by an ied i started playing that over and over started having having nightmares about it um <clears throat> probably the biggest thing was i started feeling anxiety i started being really nervous being around people i didn't want to go anywhere i didn't like being around crowds um, all these things started happening. I didn't understand why, because I, like I said, I was on my first tour of duty in 2007. Well, I didn't tell you that, but I was, and a few things happened, but I was okay. You know, I, I, I dealt with some things, but the second tour was really, really bad. And uh, a lot of incidents started happening. And I, like I said, I just started having nightmares. I started, I started being really, I was too scared. A lot of times I was scared before I even started a mission and that never happened before. I was always gun ho. I was always ready to go. But all of a sudden I started like, started having a conscience. Like I started being nervous and started, started thinking about what if I get hit again. What if something bad happens today? And I never thought about those kind of things. So it was really traumatic to, to go through a lot of stuff and, and actually start being scared and, and nervous and nightmares. And, you know, if you're dreaming about a mission the night before your mission, then, then it can be kind of overwhelming for you. And so I, those kind of problems started occurring while I was in country before I even made it back to the States. So that's one reason how I knew something wasn't right. What do you feel triggered that feeling? What awoke that, 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 that trigger? What happened? What took place before? What happened before your first mission and your second mission that suddenly you change? And, and uh, was there a, a particular incident? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you the one incident I believe that, that triggered this whole thing. Now, I've been hit by an IED before, and that didn't even do it. I mean, that had me shaken up enough to where, you know, wow, we're, this is real. I've had gunshots. I've had mortars. All these things has happened before, which probably plays into it today. But at the time, there was this incident, okay, and I'll tell you, we were on mission. 
we were, I don't remember what time it was, but we were, we were on a mission, on a route clearance mission. That's what I am. I'm a 12, bar, a 12 Bravo uh, combat engineer, and we were doing route clearance, and we were on a, like a 14, 15-hour mission. And uh, while I was driving, I was in the lead vehicle called the Husky, and while I was up there, the guys in the back came over the radio, and they started screaming, Husky 1, Husky 1, stop. And I was like, okay. So I stopped and they were like, okay, do not move forward. And I was like, what do you mean? Don't move forward. Like I'm on radio talking like, what do you mean? What's going on? They're saying you are wrapped in wire. And I had no idea what was going to happen. And so we all, they were just talking about, you know, maybe dismounting, going out there, trying to figure out if this wire was connected to an IED because it, we didn't know. All I know is my vehicle was wrapped in a lot of jet wire. And uh, mm-hmm. so I had to make a choice. You know, we were sitting there and I was thinking, we were there probably about 20 minutes. And I was thinking, you know, the mm-hmm. longer we sit here, we're considered, you know, sitting ducks. We got to get out of here. And, they were thinking about dismounting a bunch of guys to go and see if they can undo the, ro- the wires and see if it was connected or whatever. And I made a choice and said, you know what? I'm not going to put my guy's life in jeopardy. I'm just going to hit the gas and I'm, gonna sh- and I'm just going to rip the wire out of wherever it's coming from. And if it explodes, then whatever. Let's see what happens. And I decided to make that chance. And the whole time going through my head, it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I am going to die. I am going to die. Like, I don't know if anybody's ever actually told themselves or had the feeling that you were going to die. And I really felt like that this thing was going to explode on me because I done seen so many explosions in the past that there was no way that this thing wasn't going to explode on me. And, and so the whole time I was just so scared to death. I'm getting nervous now. I'm like, right now I'm starting to feel shooken because I can, I can, it's bringing it back. And I was sitting there in the vehicle, and I decided to make this, the choice. I asked my first sergeant, I said, I'm just going to hit the gas and pull it through. Y'all make sure you guys back up, you know, so many feet. So I'm sitting here on this dirt road between buildings and trees with wire running across my, my vehicle, and they're like 100 feet back. So I'm sitting here by myself in the middle of God knows who's out here. And just hoping that this is a, is, a, is a dud or it's not hooked up or whatever. So I make the choice. I hit the gas. I shoot right through it. I rip the wires right out of the trees. The whole thing comes up out of it. They said, okay, clear. We get out and look. Nothing exploded. But it was an active dent wire hooked up to an IED, but it wasn't all the way finished. It wasn't all the way finished. So, so I got, by the grace of God, we just come across it at the, at the right time and it, and it just wasn't hooked up. So the whole time that I was sitting there, all I could think about was if this thing goes off, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And that's all I thought about. So for me, I think that was one of my biggest triggers because ever since then I was always so nervous. Like right now, man, talking about it, I'm shaking because it was so surreal. It's a difference between going on a combat mission and, and, and you start catching AK 47s and, and mortars and maybe an explosion happens because you don't know what's going to happen. You're just out there at the moment, but when you're sitting there and it's between, am I going to live or am I going to die or am I going to get injured? And then you just don't know, but you know, something's going to happen and you just don't know what, that place that, that that messes with you bad and it did it messed with me bad i think that was one of the triggers um peter that's that's one of the triggers that i had that that 
I, I really believe I was looking at death in the face and I, and I took a chance on surviving. Do you still have nightmares about that? Is this something that replays itself still in your mind or how did you overcome that? I'll be honest. Um, when I first got back from Afghanistan with everything that we, we haven't really talked about, but one of the things was I had to take a lot of medication. The VA gave me a lot of medication and, um, one, I can't remember the name of the medication, but um, I, I was taking it to help me control my nightmares. Mm. And it really was working. So I was taking these things and I wasn't even having dreams. Um, so that went on for a while. Um, so, yeah, I was taking medication to help with the, the nightmares until you know later on, of course, I found different methods. But right. at the time, I, I had to. I had to take medication to stop all the nightmares. So let's get, let's let's go through your journey. You, you've given us an overall of of, of 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 what happened and 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 the traumatic experience that you live and 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 truthfully, I'm I'm I'm, I'm uh, again. Thank you for your service, and, and I am sorry that you had to experience this on behalf of 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 many of us here in our country that sat back at home in the comfort of our homes and enjoy the lives that you heroes uh, put in danger. Uh, uh, put your, your lives in, jan- in danger for us. And I, I don't think there's enough credit ever given to the veterans for what y'all do. And experiences like this are not, are not only life-changing, they're impacting and they have, they have a, an, an impact on you physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. And, and they change your life forever. And, and in your case, uh, thankfully, uh, although it had an immediate negative impact, you've been able to turn that around. So kind of take us to your journey and tell us what happened once you got out of the service, once, what, what happened? How did Sean become Sean, the veteran guy? Okay. Um, and thank you for what you said. Um, it was an honor to serve. I would actually still be serving today if, if a lot of what I'm about to tell you didn't have happened, but thank you. Um, so in 2010 and 11 was my last tour of duty to Afghanistan. Um, probably about the, towards the end of the tour, <clears throat> um, I jumped off of the back of a vehicle and for a combat dismount mission, and I ended up falling down and tearing my ACL and my meniscus. And it was terrible. I heard it pop, everything. It it was just, it was bad. So I played it off for a while, as long as I could. The commander found out and uh, realized that I was, that I couldn't perform my duty like I should. So he sent me back to get surgery since we only had a couple months left anyways. So I went to Qatar, got an MRI, found all that out and sent me back to the States, which I went to Fort Gordon, Georgia is where I spent my last two years from 2011. Well, 2000 and the end of 2010 to 2012 is when I got out the military. While I was there, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I was diagnosed with anxiety, uh, major depression, psychosis, um, so many diagnoses I can't even name. I probably had 15 different diagnoses with 15 different pills. And that was going on for two years straight on top of opiates because obviously I had an injury. So they started me on painkillers and I took painkillers up to surgery, had surgery and stayed on painkillers even through physical therapy. The whole two years that I was at Fort Gordon, I was being prescribed painkillers. Um, it wasn't the doctor's fault. I asked for them because I knew I wanted them at the same time. But 
it is what it is. So all that went hap- all that happened. I wasn't even expecting to get out the army. That's the problem. I, I thought I was just going to come get surgery and then go back to the military. But once I got diagnosed with everything, they said I was non-deployable. So I had to start looking at the future. Okay, well, I'm no longer going to be a soldier. I've been doing this for nine years. I want to be a lifer, but I'm being told that I'm no longer allowed to serve. That right there was part of depression starting. So let's you know, I finished the two years. I get, I finally get medically retired. I come back to the house and, uh, obviously things are different. I've already spent, you know, seven months in Afghanistan, two years in Fort Gordon by myself. My wife and kids have been here at the house. Um, you know, no daddy living by the weekends, really weird, trying to get used to life, home life again. And, uh, the biggest thing I'm struggling with is addiction. I'm, I'm hooked on painkillers. So I go to the VA and, uh, I'm trying to live my life. I'm, I'm back out of the military. I'm trying to, you know, get my medication for my depression, my anxiety and stuff like that. And I tell the doctor, look, this is what's going on with me. This is my, you know, this is my diagnosis. Um, I take Xanax for my anxiety. I take Percocet for my pain. Can I have my medicine? She says, well, you're not going to get Xanax and you're not going to get Percocet because they're killing people. Obviously, right off the bat, I'm saying, well, I've been taking this for two years. How are you just going to cut me off? Well, they do. They take away my Xanax and they take away my, my Percocets. Cold so, turkey? Cold turkey after two wow. and a half years. Wow. Every day, I'm taking probably now, uh, close to 100 milligrams of oxycodone and, uh, every day. And then they just cut me right off. You're not going to have any. I didn't know how to react to that. I've never been an addict. I don't know how to handle this. All I know is that I'm being sick right now, and my anxiety is going through the roof, and my head is spinning, and I'm, and I'm puking, and I'm sick, and I'm hurting. So what do I do? I start buying it off the streets. That turned into once in a while to, to every day to, to living the street life and going out there, you know, a full-blown drug addict now losing my family destroying everything suicidal thoughts because i'm so miserable i have no passion i have you know no purpose to anything Uh, i lost my military career you know i was once a soldier and now i'm nobody but somebody that just you know laying at the house taking drugs to feel better so yeah my 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 mentality was was gone i i had no purpose to live anymore i really felt like my family would have been better off without me and uh so that went on for a long long time i was destroying my family completely and in 2016 i got a phone call that one of my battle buddies that i served with during fort gordon who was also diagnosed with ptsd and depression and addiction all this other stuff he ended up taking his life in 2016 he killed himself uh he hung himself and his daughter found him uh so i was reaching out to him his daughter reached back out to me and said my daddy's no longer here he killed himself i'm like oh my god this is exactly what you know this is exactly what I'm thinking. This is scary because I'm going through the same thing he is, and you did it. Oh, let me let, let, yeah. let me pause you there for a second because I don't want to. You you have a passionate story, and you and and you're telling us a lot of information. But I want to make sure we piece your story along the way. Okay. I, I, how long did it take you once you got out of the military before you actually realized that you were addicted to your meds? What, what, what was the time frame? You get out of the, the, you get discharged, medically discharged, and you seek medical treatment. And when you came out of the military, were you already addicted to the pills, or the, the pills happened after you you get out of the military? Uh, I will be honest. I was addicted as uh, probably a few months after uh, being prescribed 
my narcotics. Um, because the reason why I say that is because unfortunately for me, when I first started taking them, it, it killed the pain, but it also made me feel better. Right. I enjoyed the way it made me feel. It felt like it gave me confidence. I felt great. I wanted to do things. And I was like, Hey, I'll take the happy pill today. You know, that's kind of what it was like. I didn't know that how serious addiction was. That's why I try to explain to people. If you're not a, if you're not used to being a, uh, if you don't, if you're not used to having an addiction or living that way, you, you just don't know how serious it is. And I didn't know. I think the other thing too, just as a physician, I'm going to make a comment that uh, that physician side of me is that a couple of points from things you, you've just mentioned is that physicians very often do perpetuate and create addictions. I hate to say that. I'm not saying your doctors are bad doctors, yeah. but a lot of times it's very easy just to go ahead and perpetuate a prescription rather than stop it. And uh, it's the easy thing to do. You know, for yeah. a lot of doctors, this write another prescription for the same medicine without even questioning it. And doctors in and out of service are guilty of that. And I think that's uh, that is a problem. And the other thing, too, it sounds like when the drugs you're taking, the Xanax and the pain pills can't be stopped abruptly. Uh, it's not medically correct thing to do. Uh, you, you, have, you need to be detoxed. And um, I'm not again. I don't want to be critical of your positions, but if you put somebody in a position of of just abruptly stopping these medicines and just going to a doctor, say, "Okay, you've been on these medicines for two years," and these are addic- very Xanax is a benzodiazepine, and it's basically it's a very difficult drug to stop. And again, I know personally from my own experience, I took it myself, and when it was first made by Pfizer uh many many years ago i got samples left in my office i decided to try them myself because it was labeled as being non-addictive and that was totally false <laughs> xanax is one of the most addictive benzos that's out there and they're downers for people who use cocaine they're just they're very highly addictive and you can't stop them abruptly and if you do the withdrawal is horrible withdrawal and it's horrible withdrawal from opiates so that's from the compassionate point of view just listening to your story here and uh, from the standpoint of medicine, just as a physician, you really just this for people who are listening to this podcast and uh, just from the standpoint of education. And if you're on benzos and you're on opiates and you're listening to this, you, you can't just stop. Them abruptly. That's why people buy them on the street uh, because they like you did, because um, they're left in a position where they're going to go through horrible withdrawal. And, you know, they they, they won't do anything at all to keep that withdrawal from happening, including buying on the street. So exactly right. And one of the biggest problems that we have in our country today in addiction is opiate addiction. Uh, You know, there's people they have died of 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 addiction. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel that 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 a lot of times. There, there, there's a real fine line in the medical f- profession to stop the pain and to and to serve the community. Right. But we don't, you know, the medical pr- profession doesn't doesn't take a step further because of the lack of an understanding of addiction to what the total consequences are forthcoming. Okay, so there's there there uh, because the reality is that we're dealing humans dealing with humans. Okay, a doctor seeing a patient that is in pain, that is hurting, and the doctor wants to help. Okay, the patient making a plea 
for more of this of this happy peel that is not only making them happy, but it is also reducing the pain. So there's there, there, there's a tremendous conflict in there, and the conflict lies due to the fact that, that, that we have lack of information. And we need to bring to life stories like here, Sean, and many other military men and many civilian men and women that have gone through this type of issues. So tell us more about your story. I'm going to tell you this right off the bat. Um, one of the ways that I, okay, so I told you that I knew a couple months that I was addicted, right, to opiates. However, I will be honest with you that when I, I, I would say when I finally realized 100% when I could look at myself in the mirror and say, wow, I am an addict. The reason why I could say that was because it went from taking that happy pill to be happy to where I had to take that pill just to survive. Because if I did not have my medication, I was sick. I, I wasn't feeling right. I was, I was, I was hurting. That's why I tell people, a lot of people that are, that, that you see that you might call a junkie or somebody that's out here getting high on the streets. Listen, man, they're not even trying to get high anymore. They're just trying to survive. And the fact is that, unless you get treatment and detox, like Steve said, there's no way off of that stuff. You've got to detox because if not, you're going to, I seriously remember being upset. I, I seriously remember an incident where I went and bought some medic, bought some pills, came back home. You know, my thing was, I like to snort them. So I crushed them up, snort them. And I instantly started crying, instantly started crying and, and just looking at myself. And I knew that I was an addict. I knew that I had gotten to a level where there was to me at the time, no going back. And that was because I wasn't even getting high off of these things anymore. It was, I wasn't happy off of these things anymore. It was just to relieve my sickness. So that was another way I really knew that I was, I guess what you call had an, had an addiction. And the other thing about the doctors is during Fort Gordon, these imagine being a doctor on a base where you have 2000 soldiers and every one of them come back from Afghanistan or Iraq and they're all hurting and they're all screaming. I need, I'm in pain. And if you try to tell us that you're not going to give us what we want, well, you're going to hear it. So right. it, it puts doctors in a terrible situation, um, but it def, definitely needs more control. And I, I think what Peter said, I just want to uh, amplify that a little bit. I think Peter's totally correct that doctors are put in a very tough position. I think doctors try to do their best. They do. They do. Pain. But I think now doctors are also put in a position where if you prescribe these pills, you get into trouble. And I think, I think yeah. one of the things that's requiring, that's required now by medical societies and medical boards is that doctors, every state I'm boarded in, uh, it requires me now to take courses in opiate. Uh, prescrib prescribing. And doctors, I think a lot of times have not been really educated very well in the fact that they can create addiction so easily. And I think doctors have that struggle of being compassionate and wanting to help people. And then, but then get caught in this situation where you also have demanding patients. I've actually had patients literally threaten to hit me because I didn't. Oh, yeah. Private. Yeah. And literally at my old office in Houston, where people got incredibly angry and, and were threatened to hit me because they didn't get what they wanted with the pain pill. So it's a very almost threatening type of situation for what a lot of doctors are put in. But tell, oh, tell, yeah. tell us, how did you finally get off these? You didn't go through detox, which is what really would be the normal way to get off these medicines. How did you? Well, I, I did eventually. <laughs> um, okay, so 2016, best friend took his life. And um, 
I was scared. I was going to the same, same, you know, same incident or whatever. Um, I ended up getting some help. Okay. I tried, I wanted to do it for my family. My wife wanted it. She was sick and tired of it. Um, I remember what, what brought that on is she uh, went to the, she was having anxiety problems. Okay. She was dealing with me, dealing with all my stuff. It gave her anxiety. It gave her, gave her problems. And so the doctor prescribed her Klonopin and instantly I, I walked up to her and I was like, I need those. I want those. And I didn't care about her situation. I didn't care about what was wrong with her. I instantly went right to her. I want those pills. And so, you know, that started a whole fight and everything. And it, it was just terrible. But anyways, as, as time went on and, and everything, um, I decided to try to get some treatment. So I did. I went to a place for, I think I spent maybe 10 days there uh, trying to detox. And I got back out. And... It didn't take long, man. I was right back on, on the pills because I thought I can do it once in a while. I thought maybe if I did one on Monday, then I won't do it again until Friday or whatever. I, I, I lied to myself. I couldn't handle the pressures, the stress, all my lack of per everything that I was still dealing with, my PTSD. It just made me feel better, and I wanted that energy. So I started hiding it. At this time, I was hiding it from everybody, trying to – I was like a functioning addict, basically – and, um, so that went on for another terrible, oh my gosh, the whole year was just terrible of 2016, 2017 comes in, you know, I'm contemplating suicide every single day. I'm sick of my life. I just want to end it all. Um, but I'm doing something positive at this time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm posting on Facebook, I'm posting inspirational quotes. I'm, I'm creating these groups, you know, see when my best friend got killed, when my best friend killed himself, I wanted to make change. I knew right then that veterans were having problems, that we were all dealing with mental health from combat, but we didn't know how to deal with it. You know, there was a stigma saying that if you had depression, if, if you, if you admitted to PTSD, that you were a weak man. Right. And, and I got tired of that. So I just started creating groups and saying, hey, look, if you're struggling, come join this group and we can take care of you. We can help you. And at the time, I was still struggling myself, but I was just wanting to help others. As time was going on, I realized that, you know, I wasn't never going to be able to help anybody until I helped myself. So the beginning of 2018, it's very sensitive subject for me because that night – I remember being in my backyard and I picked out a tree and I was going to go out the same way my battle buddy did. I was going to hang myself. I always thought about if I, if I was ever going to take myself out, I even thought about how I wanted to do it. I thought about every way. I thought about gunshots, cutting, taking pills. I thought about every which way would be the best way. And I always came up with, with, with hanging myself would be the best way for me and let somebody find me in the backyard or whatever. And before that happened, I got a phone call from a battle buddy of mine and I didn't answer the first two times he calls, but he calls again the third time and I answer it. And guess what? We start talking for like 30, 40 minutes and I just go on and pour out to him everything that I'm feeling telling about I'm ready for change. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do that. And I felt better, you know, just getting off my chest. It proved to me talking about things help. So we talked about it. I felt better, you know, about a week went by. I, I kept telling myself, I got to get better. I got to get better. I got to get better. I was hyping myself up. I was, I was, I was trying to do this. And I went to my wife and I said, baby, I'm ready for change. And, you know, she's heard this before, and, but I knew I couldn't do it for her. I couldn't do it for my kids. I couldn't do it for everybody. I had to do this for me. I had to do this for me. And so I told her, I said, I am ready. I am 100% ready. We need to do this. So we got on the phone that day and we probably called 10, 15 different places trying to get in because I had no money. All my money was being spent. I had nothing. 
And so I was trying to find a free place and there was no free places. So what we did was, we, I don't remember how, but we somehow came up with $600. We invested into this detox program. They put me in it. I stayed in detox for seven days, straight detoxing. Once I got out of there, I had already, while I was detoxing, uh, called other programs and other places to be set up for me when I got out of detox. And that's what I did. I went to another program and uh, it's called outpatient treatment, uh, intensive outpatient treatment that I did for three months. It was three hours, three times a day, three, three times a week at three hours each time of outpatient treatment, going to counseling, you know, talking to counselors, group therapy, doing homework. I did that for three months straight. Boom, boom, boom pushing myself, pushing myself, helping others, making videos, you know, started to travel around the country, speaking to people, telling people my story. And before you know it, it's been two years, man, two years clean and sober, not a drink, not a pill, not a nothing. And, and there I am that I did it on my own because I wanted change. I wanted to be better. And I knew that I wanted to help other people, but I could not help other people until I helped myself. And so I decided to help myself. And here I am today doing what I love because I finally made the choice that I wanted to get better. That is powerful. Very, very, very powerful. You know, I want to talk, I want to go back a little bit and you talked about the stigma and I can see how the stigma can permeate in a community, in a military community. Here you got strong men, you know, that, that, that are out there putting their lives on the line every single day. Uh, You're physically trained, mentally trained, emotionally trained. You are disconnected from your families and you uh, you go through a process where you disconnect yourself from society and you guys live in a community where it's macho uh, testosterone, where it's all about, you know, uh, saving the country and patriotism and all the, everything that embodies uh, embodies a man and, 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 and machoism and all of that. And I can see I can see how the stigma can permeate in, 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 in an environment like that. How can you be vulnerable? How can you be weak? How can you talk about your pain? How can you talk about your, 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 your issues? It's almost impossible, uh, Sean. And, 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 and my heart goes out to you and to every, every man out there that is in the same position. And, and that is one of the reasons that, that Steve and I created this platform to be able to create a safe space where people can talk about this type of issues without any shame, without any guilt, without any remorse, without any barriers or boundaries to be able to show that there's a possibility be, uh, beyond all those things that, 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 that hold us back, uh, whether they're myths or mental blocks or generational curses or even our societal uh, stigmas. Okay. So, 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 uh, man, I, I, I pity you. I, I pity that, that environment in a sense uh, that, that there's so much good that there is there, but there is not transparency and there's not humanity and, and, and love and compassion for one another. It's in a different manner, but not 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 in a not in a crisis moment. So so how do, how do we deal with this? How how are we able to penetrate the military community or any other community that is holding themselves back from 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 talking about these issues? How do we permeate? How do we enter? How do we reach them? You I'm know? glad we're. 
But go ahead, Steve. If you guys, yeah, I'll say it's not even just the military because, like you said, there's more. I mean, even as a physician, you're you know, or just a lot of, especially if you're a male physician, you know, this this macho type of thing. I know I've got uh, you know a son who is in the military who went through severe depression when he was a marine, and I asked him to get help, and he just was worried about being demoted or having being thought negatively of. And uh, wow. so, I mean, I understand totally, and we got to get rid of that fucking stigma. I, I'm just so tired of it. Um, and that's one of the reasons when Peter talked me about doing this podcast, I really wanted to do it so badly is because I'm so, so tired of the stigma that keeps people from wanting to get help and reach out. You know, it's sad. And that's why Pete takes so much courage to come on this show, you know, and, and talk about it openly, you know, say, screw the stigma and let's get rid of that crap. That's right. That's right. I love that you hit it right on the head, man. I was going to say that same thing. That was one of the biggest problems about being in in the military. And I'm sure all these other jobs, you know, if you go to your commander, if you go to your boss and you tell them, hey, man, I'm having some, you know, some issues. I'm having nightmares. I'm having, you know, I'm feeling depressed. I, I, I got anxiety. I, it's going to make you look you're going to feel weak. And they're going to pull you off a mission. They're going to start telling you to go see somebody, go talk to somebody, go do this, go do that. And then the other guys in the unit, they're going to look at you like, oh, there's something wrong with him. There's something wrong with this guy, you know, and that's the stigma. If you come out and admit that you have depression, well, now you're weak because why can a hundred guys be okay and this guy not? You know, we all deal with trauma differently. We all deal yeah. with certain situations differently, and they got to understand that. Yeah. And, before, uh, yeah. before we went on this podcast, I should do a little research. And one of the things I discovered on, on, in my research was that at least one out of five veterans of the Gulf War or Afghanistan suffer from PTSD. And if you go back to Vietnam, which is the area I grew up in, at 30% of people, of soldiers in Vietnam went through the Vietnam War, suffered from PTSD. So, I mean, you're not alone. I mean, this is a common issue here. If one out of five people in the Gulf War, I, I would bet that's even low, a low number. You know, that's an interesting statistic, uh, Steve, and, but, but I want to talk to another statistic, and the statistic about addiction. If you look at the statistic of addiction during the Vietnam War and, 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 and Afghanistan or any other war after that, okay, there is proven research that, that, that many, many men in the military were hooked on heroin while on service, <clears throat> Yep. Okay, but they they would come back home. They would come back to their country, and they would never touch it again. They would reintegrate themselves into the community, and that was something that happened in the military, and maybe even helped them during that process. Okay, but they would come back to their communities, to their to 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 their cities, to their to their families, and everything was normal. What has shifted? What has changed? That 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 you know, perhaps you know, we used to see. We used to see heroin as 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 a, as a devil drug, okay, and 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 how is it that a drug, you know, a a a a pill, a, a prescribed medicine uh, with opiates on it that 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 is prescribed clinically, um, clinically prescribed, that it can become such a such a. Um, uh, uh, Epidemic? Epidemic that is killed in our country. What has shifted? I think I, have the, I, I think I have the answer to that. And, I, and I'll tell you, a lot of people don't realize that heroin, okay, is opiate. Okay? 
So when a lot of people that are hooked on pills, on opiate pills, when it gets too expensive, guess what we go to? Heroin. Because heroin and narcotics give you the exact same high. It's the exact same type of high. It's just, I think some people prefer to shoot it. Some people prefer to smoke it. Now, as far as the transitioning, to be honest with you, I think that's possible. I think, I don't know for sure, but I, if I had to guess, I, okay, think about it. You got some guys in Vietnam, right? They're, they're living a war, you know, they're there for maybe a year or two, but they're smoking it, but they're not really living that life. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're smoking it. They're training, they're fighting, they're, they're still in the military. They have to have some type of bearings. You know what I mean? You have to keep some kind of bearing. They might be using it, but when they come back home or the time when they're training before they get home, maybe it's already away from them. Maybe they had no choice but to get clean before they came back home. I don't know because I don't know what Vietnam was like, but once they came back to the States, maybe that's just something they left behind. For us, when we come, like when I was in Afghanistan is when I was first prescribed a, a Percocet. When I was in Afghanistan, my medic, my combat medic actually carries it in their bag now. And he was like, here, take these. He gave me like 10 of them. Uh, so when I came back home and from getting it from him, then it just went to the doctor and the doctor started giving it to me. And then, of course, that's how my addiction happened. But what I'm thinking is what your question you asked, how the transition happened, I think it's because when they were over there doing it, it was in a controlled environment. You know what I mean? Like they couldn't. I mean, I heard of people getting addicted and all that, but I just, I think it was more controlled. You got a commander, you got a first sergeant, you have your platoon sergeant. I mean, they're not able just to run off and, and become a junkie. You know, they still got a job to do. So I think there's a difference. I think they once they left that country and came home, they, most of them left that, left that behind where it wasn't like that where we're at because we're not allowed to drink, we're not allowed to smoke, you know, we're not allowed to have heroin, we're not allowed to have alcohol, we're not allowed to have that stuff. So it kind of you know, kept us from doing it while we were in country. That's, that's my, not, not, that's not, my not, not only that, that, you know, you're, you know. you're being medically prescribed, which makes it right. Okay. Right. 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 <laughs> it's okay. The daughter gave it to me. Yeah. So, so, you know, you know so it's interesting, but uh, it's, if I want to just talk one more minute about the, the stigma, because that would, that's exactly what's happening. And what I want to do is anybody's listening to this right now, I want them to understand that don't worry about what people think. If, if there, this, is, this, is a, this is a true story, okay? There was a guy, a Vietnam veteran, and I was talking to him probably a few months ago, and he says, uh, oh, man, I don't know what's wrong with these guys today. I served uh, so-and-so in Afghanistan, and I mean, in Vietnam, and I'm fine. I said, are you really fine, brother? He said, yeah, man, I have no problems. I said, oh, so you don't ever drink? Oh, no, no, I, I drink every day. Oh, okay. Have you ever been to jail? Yeah, man, me and my wife fight all the time. Oh, wow. Do you, do you have any nightmares? Dude, I'm dreaming all, all kinds of crazy dreams. And he goes on and on about all these problems, but he doesn't have PTSD and he doesn't have depression. And I said, bro, you are struggling with PTSD, man, because everything that I brought up, do you have reoccurring nightmares? Yep. Do you think about what happened in Vietnam? Yep. Do you, uh, you know, are, do you like going to crowded places? Nope. <laughs> you're struggling, brother, and you don't even want to admit it. That's what it is. You want to think that you're that, that that this didn't happen to you. Anybody that goes through a traumatic event, this kind of stuff happens to you, and you can't help it. So, if you're listening to this and you're one of these people that that, that feel like, oh well, I'm not going to admit it because it make me look soft. 
Look, that's not true, man. Look at me. I used to tell people all the time I was so passionate about this. I was so passionate that I would say things to people like, if you think that I'm weak because I'm telling you that I got depression, then come meet me and try and see how weak I am. Because I am not a weak person because I have a condition that I can't help. I'm not going to allow my mental health to define who I am. I'm not going to allow what happened to me to define who I am. If you want change, you can make change. And I tell these people all the time, look, if you are struggling, just come out and talk about it. You are not alone. Just like Steve said, he struggled. We all struggled. It's okay. We're, we're humans. We struggle, but we have to learn to talk about it. We have to learn. And this podcast is amazing because you're opening up. You're allowing us to come on here and express ourselves and not be judged. And I just, I think we all need to just start stop trying to judge people and stop worrying about being judged because we all have problems. So, so Sean, with just kind of for people listening to this who don't really know if they have PTSD, and then I've never actually, never said post-traumatic stress disorder. Ashwin never actually said what the term, the initials stand for. Um, usually does come from some trauma in your life. Yeah. Matter. I mean, or it can be a lot of different things. So for people out there who, are not sure. You just mentioned the fact that you, your friend didn't know that they have PTSD. What are the symptoms of uh, PTSD that people should be looking for? Is maybe telling that hey, they need help. This may be what they have. Oh, if they for sure, if they if they cannot stop replaying the same situation over and over and over, like my wife. Okay, for an example, for for an example, a couple years ago we were driving down the road. A car come flying out of the alley, smashed right into us almost flipped our car. I jumped out the vehicle and the guy that was driving was an 18 year old young boy who had just got shot in the chest and died right in front of me. And it was a drug deal that went wrong. So this was after I know came home and everything. And I was dealing with stuff that this kid died in front of me and all this happened in front of my wife and she didn't know how to deal with it. So now she's traumatically, she's she deals with this now and she replayed it, the event over and over. So if you're somebody that, that, that something happened to you and you can't stop thinking about it and it keeps replaying over and over. And when you go to sleep, you're having nightmares and now you find yourself having anxiety and you don't want to be around big crowds and fireworks and different stuff, just scare the crap out of you. You probably got PTSD and, and there is ways to, to get better and there's ways to get better, but first step is you got to realize you got to admit that you have it. You have to realize you have it, confirm that. And then now what's the game plan? How do I get better? And I think it's also important to, to, to acknowledge the fact that admitting that you have an addiction, that you have a medical condition, that you have a mental illness is not a sign of weakness. As a matter no. of fact, in my opinion, it's actually a sign of strength to be able mm. to seek to better yourself to be and, 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 and to address the issue. Because unfortunately, and 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 you know, and in, in, in my addiction as 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 an alcoholic, you know, for a long time, I went around behaving in a very destructive manner that was not only affecting myself, but it was affecting everything and everyone around me. Okay. So the collateral damage that we do on, uh, while we are, uh, under, under our addiction, under our condition is much, is, 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 
you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm not hurting anyone else. I'm only hurting myself. <laughs> that is not true. That is yeah, not true. Right. You're hurting your wife, your children, your neighbors, uh, your community. You're hurting your employer. You're not as productive as you should be. So there's there's a lot of collateral collateral damage that is that is not visible to us when we are in the throes of our addiction. You know, I also want to point out that there's an excellent, excellent book out there uh, uh, by Lewis House called A Mask of Masculinity. OK, and it basically talks about the different faces that we go as men, uh, you know, the faces, you know, the clown, the buff guy, the tough guy, the macho guy, the funny guy. It talks about the different masks that we create as, 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 as men uh, in order to disguise our, our fears, our, our, our insecurities, our, our demons, our, our battles within ourselves. And it's an excellent guy uh, for, 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 those, for those out there listening that, 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 that may not be prepared to come forward and face who they are uh, or, or what they are. But, but, but there's a lingering question about, well, am I this, am I that? Am I hiding something? Am I holding something back? Because the reality is that society does not always allow us to express what we're feeling. You know, without being ridiculed, without being shamed, uh, without without being cast an outcast, yep. and, and and because of all those fears, we have a tendency of holding back what we are experiencing, and the collateral damage that that does to ourselves and to others is much greater than anything that we can even quantify. Um, Sean, we, we 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 talked a little bit about your story. We talked about your PTSD. Now, tell us about your service work. Tell us what it is. What is your mission? What is Sean, the veteran guy? What is he doing? How is he serving his community? More importantly, or equally important, how do you maintain, maintain your sobriety? Okay? How, how, do you, how do you assure that you don't go back into your default mode of an addict? Because, you know, uh, addiction uh, is, is something in, 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 in our experience that we are stick uh, with for for life, and that our only process of of, uh, of maintaining it is through recovery. So, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, that's that's perfect. And can I just say one thing? What you were talking about just now, uh, you were right when I I used to say the same thing. Oh well, how come how can how can me taking a pill hurt anybody else? Right? Like, why is everybody so angry that I want to feel good about taking? taking this one pill, you know, how does it affect everybody else? Obviously later on, I found out it does destroy your family. So that was a great point right there. Um, well, it's like this. I always know that I will, I will always, I will always have an addiction, addictive personality. I know that I, I know that everything that I do, I, I struggle with addiction, you know, it could be food. It could be, you know, something I drink. It takes a lot of willpower. It takes a lot of I, it takes a lot of willpower, and it takes a lot of desire just to to, to stay clean. Now, what I do now is, and that, and that's what this all plays into. I found for me, okay, I found my passion. I found my purpose. That is very very important. That's something that I try to teach people all the time. I have an organization called Finding Your Purpose, and that's because for me, once I got clean. I realized, holy crap, I've been missing out, you know, the last nine years of my life because I was so 
so into my addiction and so into my depression and so into just misery that I couldn't see the happiness around me, my life in front of me, things that I could be doing. And so when I found my purpose again and my passion to help others, oh my gosh, it changed my life. And so that's one reason why I know I'm not going back to the old me because I am too happy now. I I enjoy my life. And I think for people that want to make a difference in their life, you have to find your you got to find that passion again. You got to find that what makes you feel good and what what makes you want to wake up in the morning. And when you go to bed, you're thinking about the next day. And when you find these things, it's easier to control that addiction that you might still have. You know, we're in recovery now. We're going to always be in recovery, but you don't have to be an addict. You don't have to be that person struggling if you're ever going to use again or ever going to drink again because you're happy now. You've got that purpose. You've got that passion. And, and you know that if you ever go back, your life's going to go back to the way it was. So I would never, like on one of my posts, you know, I'm looking up at the mountains and I'm saying, you know, God brought me through this whole mess, but I'm never looking back because I'm never going back to that lifestyle again. So uh, basically what I like to do is I like to travel the country. That's my ultimate goal. I, I love to be booked. I love to be booked and speak on, uh, on American stuff. I like, you know, talk about, you know, what needs to change in our country, but most importantly, I enjoy talking to people that struggle with mental health and addiction and let them know that, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't define who you are. You can be somebody, you can be whoever you choose to be. It's your life. You choose your destiny. And I think, when people see my, hear my story and they see where I come from and I tell them, look, I had a crazy childhood. I know we didn't even talk about that. You know, my childhood was crazy and never thought that I would be who I was, you know, as a soldier and all that. So I just like to inspire people. I like people to feel good about themselves and say, you know what, if this guy can do it, I can do it. You know, he's happy. He's got a great life, been married to his wife for 13 years. Uh, you know, she stuck with me from, from, you know, all the terrible things, all my deployments, all my military career. And I don't know, I just want to inspire people and show people that they can do whatever they put their mind to. And it's the truth. You just got to do it. If you want it, go get it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Go get it. And that's so what I do. <laughs> your passion's <laughs> obvious, Sean. I tell you, you're yeah. very good at it. Very good inspired. Yeah. I was going to just ask you about something that you're basically a mindset specialist. And right. I guess, um, can you... I, you kind of talked about a little bit, I guess, yeah. indirectly yeah. as far as what you, the things you just said. But can you describe a little bit more about what, I, what you feel in mind? How do people change your mindset? How do people, how do you get people to do that? Okay, well, basically, it's, it's going to have to, okay, a mindset specialist. I kind of came up with that because there were so many coaches out here. And I, I could have said, you know, for a while I was a recovery coach or I mean, a mindset coach or whatever. I like the specialist, okay? A mindset specialist because... What that is, is basically somebody that learned to use my, my mind, use my thoughts to make who I, to, to, to be, to become who I am today. Okay. So instead of me sitting here dwelling on my past, instead of me dwelling that I have no money and I can't do this and I can't do that. Think about the things that I do have. Think about the things that, 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 that. I have around me now. Stop worrying about what I don't have and be blessed for what I do have, you know, to have, to be a mind to be a mind to have a mind to be um, excuse me <laughs> to have a mindset specialist you have to just believe in yourself you have to know the power of power of, of positive thinking you know you the power the positive the power of positive thinking is so powerful people don't even realize it and it goes on 
and on. I can go on about law and attraction and everything. I mean, you have to really believe in yourself. You have to believe that you that know your self-worth. And, and that's all it is. It's just, it's a mindset thing. If you know you're a good person, if you know what you want to do and you, and you believe in yourself and you're positive about it and you get rid of the negativity that's around you, you can do anything you want to do. So that's what I do. I, I have a website, www.veteranguide.com. If you go to that and you can actually pull it up and you can actually book a session with me and I help you with your mindset. I get you out of your depression. I get you out of the, those moments where you feel like you're a nobody and I remind you that you are a somebody that your life matters and everything that you want is okay. Is okay. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be happy. Don't let your past define who you are. You are somebody today that deserves to be happy. And so I get into your head and let you know you're great. You're great just the way you are. And just have that positive mindset. To me, that's, that's what a specialist is. I show you how to get into your head, how to use your thoughts and use it as positive in positive way to help you throughout your journey. You know, you know, um, Sean, there's, um, there's different states that we all go through uh, in life and, and there's very defined states that an addict goes through. And, you know, first of all, when you, when, when we're, we're, when we're in our state of addiction, we're in a complete state of denial and that state of denial takes us into a state of unmanageability which that state of unmanageability takes us to a state of survival, which that state of survival takes us to a state of insanity, okay? So it's very difficult when we find ourselves through all those different states that they're interweaved with one another for us to be able to find our passion, okay? Yeah, exactly. But our passion never leaves us, okay? Our passion is always there. It's just hidden because we're not present, in order for us, in order for us to be, to be, to, to find that passion, to find that, to find who we are, we need to surrender all those things that are holding us back. And, 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 and it's exactly what you've done. It's exactly what you've done. And what is typically holding us back is something that trigger, you know, when you were a child, when you were a teenager, uh, when you when you had some traumatic stress, PTSD is not reserved to the 1980s or the 1990s or the 2000s. PTSD has been well and alive for many, many, many years. We are all suffered some time of traumatic stress. Okay, mm-hmm. it was just that before people used to tell us tough it up, just yeah. put up with it. Right. Uh, right. You know, don't cry. You know, if you right. boys don't, men don't cry. You know. You know, men's on the, you know, all those, all those little things that, 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 that were suppressing our feelings and our emotions. And for the very first time in our life, we have an opportunity to be transparent, to be real, to be able to f- expose our feelings and say who we are and not be judged. Okay. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, Sean, what was that traumatic moment in your life? What was it that triggered Sean? The veteran men today, the veteran guy today, as a little boy, and I, you thought we have forgotten to ask about your childhood. We have not forgotten to, got, to, to ask about your childhood. We want to know what was it that triggered you? What was it? What, what, was, what was that trigger? What was it? Have you been able to define it? I know that Steve and I, in our own journeys, we have been to somewhat pinpoint some of those things that, that, that cause our, our dysfunction as addicts 
and and we you know we've been able to pinpoint it. What was your what was your trauma? Uh, as a child, it, it's a real real it, it's real tricky. I dealt with uh, my mother struggled with addiction. Okay. She was an alcoholic and she still is. She's been an alcoholic for over 40 years of her life. She, 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 she was an alcoholic. My father was a full-time military man. He, um, it was a lot of abuse. There was a lot of physical abuse, a lot of mental abuse. I was diagnosed at a very, very young age with ADHD. Okay. That was one of the problems that I had. I was diagnosed with ADHD. And as soon as I was diagnosed, the doctor gave me Ritalin. So I started taking medicine when I was six years old on Ritalin. And my mother used to tell me, oh, well, you're never going to act right. You're never going to do this and you're never going to do that if you don't take your medicine. You know, I, I dealt with a lot of that stuff. And then growing up as a teenager, you know, I started resenting her. I started resenting my family because I started feeling like the only way that I could ever be normal is if I took medication. So I think when I was, I was growing up, that's why I hated medicine so much. That's why I actually found it hard to believe that I was taking pills as my addiction. But I, I really did. I, that's some of my life as a child. And of course, I started hanging out with the bad gangs, a lot of gangs, a lot of a lot of um, just a lot of violence and a lot of things that I grew up in was was terrible. Um, there's no specific, uh, specifically a, a trigger as a child, I don't think. I think uh, all those kind of triggers started happening, uh, started tri started happening. As I was out of my military career, um, as a child, I dealt with a lot of verbal abuse from my, from my family. And uh, from my family, physical abuse uh, was uh, a little bit of verbal, excuse me, a little verbal abuse and physical abuse from my father was where he used to like to just grab me and jack me up and throw me against the wall and stuff like that. But I watched him be very abusive to my mother. And that was uh, something I had to learn to deal with. That's, that's something that really bothers me today is when I have to, when, I, when I'm around violence in a relationship, that, that I can't handle that. That, that. I don't like seeing, you know, violence between a husband and a wife and, and stuff like that. That's something that I dealt with. I, I got a lot to talk about with my childhood, and it's really hard to talk yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've been through so many uh, life-altering things, you know, in your past. Yeah. I mean, the childhood, the childhood thing is really hard to talk about. Um, it's just, it was just so much, you know, I dealt with so much from, from my diagnosis of ADHD to being hyperactive, to the abuse, to the alcohol abuse, to me drinking, me drinking at a young age at 12 years old, you know, because it was in the house all the time. And I watched my mom do it. Yeah. My dad was in the field for six months at a time, you know, um, and she was trying to raise two boys on her own in a different country in Germany, you know, for, for God, eight, nine years of my life. So there was a lot of stuff that was going on. I was neglected as a child. I, I hung out with the wrong crowds. I was bad in school. I didn't, these are things that led all the way up to me being in the military and finally got that discipline to change my mindset. But yeah, that's a little bit about my childhood. So, so, so you were basically looking for the discipline in the military that you didn't have at home, and the exactly. you didn't have at home as a child. Now, with that in mind, what advice would you give to the listeners out there, in particular to the younger generation uh, that may find themselves in that circumstance? What advice would you give to them? Uh, I love talking to young guys, uh, especially about gangs and stuff like that, and showing that look. 
you know, you got to understand education is very important. If anything, I know high school is very important. It's not that I push college on anybody because I'm an entrepreneur, obviously, and I love for people to go. And there's so many ways to, to live your dream. But just don't worry about the peer pressure as much. I tell my kids all the time, it's not important on how many friends you have. Okay. It's, 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 it's about what you do. And, and if you, if you have passion for what you do, you know, I even teach my kids at a young age to do what they love to do. You know, my son plays soccer. He loves to play soccer. I say, if you play, if you love it, you know, my daughter, she's smart. She wants to dance, do dance. If you love it, just enjoy life and, and, and just do the right thing. And, 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 uh, just and take school serious. That's one thing that I'm very strict on my children about is uh, they they are going to graduate and they are going to get that diploma. That's that's. And if I had advice for anybody else, just stick to school. If you're having a hard time, try to find the positive crowd, the people that care about you, the people that that really want to see you do good. And those are your real friends. There's a lot of people out here that will claim to be your friend, but then want to see you fail. And uh, I had to learn that the hard way. Um, even as an adult, we know that there's people that want to see us fail. Um, if you're a true friend, you're somebody that gets excited when something good happens to you. So just look for that, look for that good crowd. Sean, describe your life today. And can you tell us a little bit about what you do on a daily basis to keep yourself sober? My life today pretty much consists of doing a lot of social media. Uh, I'm always on Twitter. I mean, excuse me, I'm always on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. I love making inspirational videos. I like just to talk about my message, kind of like we're doing right now. Any kind of uh, idea or or thought that comes to my mind, I make videos about it. And it, it could be 12 o'clock at night. If I have an idea, I'll, I'll make a video about it. Um, I'm always doing that. I'm always writing blogs. I enjoy writing my feelings out, writing stories. Um, I'm eventually actually in the middle of writing a book right now, and I'm not going to say much about it because I just started, but that's something in the future. Um, and just always looking on, I'm always listening to like some of my favorite people like Grant Cardone or, or, you know, just somebody that inspires me, Tony Robbins, these kind of guys really inspire me and I'm always listening to them and, and, and planning on some new content and, and hopefully traveling and, and just I'm always living my life thinking about how I can help somebody else. Always thinking about what's the next thing I can do to help somebody else. And that's what keeps me clean and sober. That's what keeps me clean is by doing what I do is what I, this is something I tell people. You have to find an outlet. You have to find a way to, 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 to help you forget about the addiction. Okay. Even if you were presently hooked on, like say, I don't know, narcotics and you were struggling, you got to find, first of all, you got to want change. That's how you find your person, uh, your passion, Peter is by, um, uh, is by wanting change. Okay. As soon as you want that, then you start thinking about the things you want to do. And then all of a sudden, you know, opportunities come up and you start finding your passion and stuff you want to do. Um, but you find an outlet, you find something that you enjoy, you find something that you just enjoy doing. And that's what I do is by helping others is my outlet. And so that's what keeps me clean and sober. If I didn't have this, if I didn't have, you know, a way to help people, I don't think I would be clean. Sean, uh, for an active military man or a veteran that needs help today, that may be struggling with addiction, battling, whatever, uh, where can we recommend that they seek help from? Where do we send them? What, 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 what is the message to them? 
Okay, so if we have a veteran or active military guy right now, a woman that's that's struggling, and a lot of these women that are in the military that come back with PTSD, a lot of them don't tell you, but I found out in my experience that a lot of them are dealing with sexual trauma, and that's really seriously out there. Um, just to throw that out there, if you're somebody dealing with that, there's help. Um, you guys can come to my group. I have a. Uh, they can check me out on Facebook if they want to hit me up. Um, personally, they can find me on an organization called Vet Life for Life, and that is actually an organization for a bunch of people. It doesn't matter if you're a veteran or not or active military. If you're struggling, it's just a place to go to vent. If you if you want information on on different subjects or or if you just want help, it's a good place to go. If you're looking to change your life, if you want to get better, if you want to be somebody better, if you're looking to be a mindset specialist and you want to, and you want to do these things, look me up on finding your purpose under Sean, the veteran guy. I will be glad to talk to you. We can schedule a time to talk or we could just message. You know, I have a, a, a program where you can actually, um, you can actually talk to me for like 30, 40 minutes for free. Just, it's a free phone call. If you just need somebody to talk to, shoot me a message. I'll be glad to talk to you. I got a lot of nonprofits that I work with that are always trying to help people with service dogs. Um, that's another good one. Um, people that are now starting to learn that horses help. Uh, there's ranches I can send you. There's, there's all kinds of things that we can do. Reach out to me, Sean, the veteran guy, and I will do whatever I can to help you. You're not alone. You're not alone. And that's what's important. Yeah. So if you had to summarize, I know it's hard. We've talked quite a bit about some age, really important topics in the last hour. And if you had to just uh, sum up, you know, in a few sentences or, you know, what your main uh, messages would be to people out there who uh, uh, are in a situation where they may have PTSD or depression. Can you summarize what your main messages to them would be? Don't listen to the stigma. Just just remember that, you know, you're not alone. That's the biggest thing. You're not alone. Because when I was struggling, that's the same thing I kept telling myself. That's the same thing I kept telling myself is that nobody's going to understand. Nobody's going through it. Nobody knows it. And that's not true. There are millions of people out here that struggle with mental health. There's millions of people that struggle with addiction. There's people out here that understand you. So don't don't worry about the way you feel or if somebody's going to judge you for something. It's okay not to be okay, okay? And the last thing I would say is, remember right now, if you're somebody at the bottom, if you feel like you're hit rock bottom and there's no way up, no way out, remember, there's only one way left to go and that's up because you can't keep going down no further because you're already at the bottom. There's still room to go up. Uh, Sean, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. First and foremost, for your service. Thank you for being our guest in the podcast. Thank you for everything that you do for the community, particularly the military veteran community. And um, it's, it's, it's been a real joy to have you. Um, we hope that that um, we are able to spread the message along with you and be able to to help others. This is why we created this platform. This is why we're here today. And, uh, and, and I can't thank you enough for your message and, and everything that you do out there for the veterans. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank, thank you, you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Peter. You guys are amazing. And I'm going to promote your guys just as well because you guys are doing an amazing job. I, I love listening to your guys' podcast. I love what you guys are about. And uh, I'm very grateful to be on here too. So thank you guys very much. 
Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Coming Through the Podcast. Please listen to us. Uh, subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. We are on iTunes as Coming, uh, Coming Clean Podcast, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, and Spotify. Also, please follow us on social media at uh, Coming Clean Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for listening. And if you have not subscribed, please do so today. Thank you. And we look forward to having you in our next podcast.